should get started. <laughs> hey guys, it's Lavetta. And it's Miriam. And this is the Notorious Women Podcast, a comedy podcast about some of history's most notorious women. Yes, and indeed. We are we are being silly as always before we get on yeah. mic or at least loop you guys in. But yeah. um, I think that I you know, I, I'm doing pretty good other than hitting my head. I was telling Miriam Ta- before we got on. Yeah. You want to talk about how you did that? I went to roller skating because I was trying to be cool because I'm never cool. And uh, I was trying so to blow cool. off some steam. No, I'm not. Yeah. And uh, no, you are. she's so sweet. And so. I, I'm a little rusty, so I was a little wobbly. But then I got my sea legs and I was like, this is great. And, and, I'm, and I don't know what happened. And I mm-hmm. slipped and bam, hit the back of my head. It went pop. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And I bounced back up, thank God. And yeah. I was so pissed because, of course, being an adult, you have to adult. So I sat down yeah. and they got me some ice and I drank water and I had to sit out the rest of the evening. But I was having so much fun because roller skating is so much fun. I'm so, so sad now. that happened. I took a very similar dive ice skating, but I went forward. What happened? Did you and hit your head or? I didn't hit my head. Thank I God. sort of got up. And then kind of kept going. And I thought, I think I'm too old to keep going. <laughs> but you know, when this happens, your body goes in a little bit of shock. Yeah. 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 So yeah. yeah. That I can see why you're like, no, I adulted and sat down because it would be like, didn't you want to sit down? Probably not. You well, how did you like, fall? Did you fall on your I hands? No, I don't even know. Like, I, you don't my, remember? I, I just splat. I was down. <laughs> All I remember was being down and then being like, Okay, I have to get back up again. And and then I and then and then Sal was like, Are you okay? And I was like, honestly, I'm not gonna know till tomorrow. Right now, <laughs> I feel fine. <laughs> but that's you know you what? Know. Honestly, that is how I I didn't feel fine. Obviously, I was like, Oh, I hit my head, but it's not one of those things where it was like, Oh my god, like I really, really hurt myself. It's like, no, I hit my head. Like, of like, course I'm gonna I gotta take- sit down. Right. I mean, it's like the knowledge of the fact that I hit my head, which was like, good on you, girl. Yeah, it 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 definitely wasn't one of those things where you like, I mean, I would have have preferred to have fallen forward and maybe on my knees and I just skinned my knee a little bit. That would have been more preferable. Hobble around for a few weeks. Yeah. yeah, Or like been like, oh, I got to kind of sit this out. But like, let me put some aloe vera gel on it. And like, you know, but with this, with your head, you never know. Like we've talked off mic, like. I didn't go to the doctor because I'm in Florida and I don't currently have health insurance. It's supposed to kick in at the end of the month. And also, I just don't want to go to an ER in Florida because it's fucking Florida. I mean, I... I want you to see a doctor. I would like that known throughout the world. I I want you to see a doctor, but I also understand your hesitation. Because a part you know? of me, this is this is also me overthinking things. So I'm like, I go in there, I go into the ER and they're like, oh, we'll do a scan. Everything's fine. And it's great. Right. Which is great. But I will have to sit in a Florida ER for four or five hours. Uh, How many diseases do you want in a day? Exactly. No one's masked here. Um, nope. Everyone, There's only so many masks you put on your own self. You know, like, and if anything, I've gotten the aggressive looks about wearing a mask because I mask up where I go and it's like that aggressive kind of like yeah and like so it's like 
And then also medical racism, which is probably mm-hmm. more likely to happen in Florida <laughs> than I mean in, anywhere else. It could happen anywhere, but like Florida, you're up there. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, so do you Barbie's have a black like, doctor here anywhere in this hospital? I need your black yeah. doctor. Just like, I, oh, osteopath. That's fine. They went to medical school. <laughs> or and also because it's one of those things where it's kind of like um, those injuries where like. Is it. I don't think I'm concussed because I didn't like I don't have blurry vision. I didn't pass out or anything like that. But it's like it's I'm going to go and get checked. It's I will just tell like, you this. I'm going to diagnose you right now okay. is you do have a mild concussion okay. and I can diagnose you because my child a couple of years ago fell off a trampoline. Now, we did go to the doctor and she did not scan him because she's like. There's no blurry, like all of the, your pupils are not a problem. All of those obvious things to look for were not happening. But he was kind of like dizzy and like couldn't concentrate. And the rule was wait it out till he can. Like it was just like, yeah, ice it and like wait it out. That said, please go to a doctor. Don't let me, I don't want to stop you. No, no, you're, you're right. Calming. You know what I'm I mean, saying? thank God I have a little, my afro's a little high, so it did cushion yes. it quite a bit, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so funny because I, before I came here, I was going to cut it even lower. Um, nope. And so it, it, so that's a good thing. But I am going to go and see someone, but it's just like, I don't want to do it in Florida. But anyway, I guess we, we probably Let's get started. Get started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if anyone else has uh, some medical diagnoses for Levetta, let us know. <laughs> absolutely. But also, mm-hmm. when this comes out, Yes. Next week. Girl. It's going to be after our both our birthdays. Uh-huh. Okay. It's going to be like, it's going to be, this is our birthday week episode. <laughs> Happy birthday, Miriam. Happy birthday, Lavetta. You're the 26th. I'm the 27th. Right? Yes. And we will and we not were born celebrate in, together. Right. We were born in 2010, just so you, in case you guys were wondering. Yes, 2010. Sounds yeah. good to me. I like that. Yeah, exactly. But uh, Levetta, I think but, we're 13. <laughs> hey, this 13 you know year old making tens of millions of dollars online. <laughs> That's so, right. I know. I'm so jealous. <laughs> let's be those 13s together. But happy right, birthday in all seriousness. Happy, happy birthday, birthday, my darling. To you. And uh, now I think I am first this week. And I think I have a doozy for you. All right. I, I so. You know, I love sort of like ancient, the ancient women, the ancient stories, because I think we're living in a time where we can like put things in a a really great perspective. And so I had this idea, you know, I'm like, should I do Cleopatra? You know, that one's been done a lot, which, by the way, uh, there's a great series on Netflix that I think you guys should watch, uh, EP'd by uh, Jada Pinkett Smith. Which oh yeah. I highly, highly recommend. It's so good. It's like it's not just reenactments. There's like acting. It's it's really interesting how they oh. did it. Like Oh yeah. okay. Oh, I should watch this with my children. Yeah. And it's really good. They're because like really into Egypt right now. Yeah. Oh, they'll love it. And you know what? It's so interesting because I never really understood the whole story. Mark Anthony and Julie said like I never understood that, but also apparently no one knows what Cleopatra really looked like. Yeah, they don't. There's a whole argument of like, what was she black? Was she white? Was she first of all, who fucking cares? Second of all, 
like, I mean, I know, but, but like, it, yeah. she was probably, probably not super white. I'm just going to throw that out there. Watch the series. <laughs> they make a decision, which I think is very, very interesting and it works. Uh, so anyway, okay. but I was thinking of Cleopatra and I was like, no, they've already done that. And I just watched the series. So I was like, who is like someone ancient, you know, that would be a, a great notorious woman, uh, uh, a study like you know a uh, figure so i thought oh what about mata hari right because i thought mata hari oh, is an yes. ancient woman but turns out miriam i was wrong mata hari is oh, not an ancient woman <laughs> oh she's not oh my she's god not. weren't we just talking about our education and how smart we are Dude. <laughs> yes, I think it is the name. So let's get into Matahari. Well, that is my notorious this is, woman. This I'm week. excited about today. Okay. Okay. So uh, just a few of my sources uh, for today. It comes from history.com, a history.com article, a, a Time article by Ray Cavanaugh uh, from 2017. And a video from the, on the YouTube channel of called Biographics. Biographics okay. is the name of the YouTube channel, among other sources. But those are my main sources. So let's get into it. So Mata Hari was born Margarita or Margarita Gertruida Zell on August 7, 1876, in a small town in northern Holland to a once prosperous what? hat merchant. <laughs> okay. Who went bankrupt. So This goes against everything Dutch. I ever thought. I thought she was like in the 1600s Arabia. Me too. No. No. Wow. So I will get okay. to that. So Margarita now when she was, I'm going to call her Margarita or Marguerite. Uh, Marguerite, when she was about 13, her father abandoned her and her mother to live with another woman. What a dick. So not yeah. only did they lose their money, but then he abandoned her yeah. and her what mother. Stupid asshole. Okay. And then two years later, her mother died. Oh, fuck. So at age 15, the now noticeably beautiful young orphan girl was sent away by relatives to study to become a teacher because, you know, they're like, okay. well, girl, okay. you got to learn how to do something because you got to work for a living. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Which is, so, you know, they, you know, sounds like they like paid for her education, which is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in those days, standards were like low, you know, bar yeah. was like on the ground. So it's like, oh, we're going to let you eat and we're going to educate you. But a teacher is also a, a, you know, a reputable profession for it's a young one of woman the three who has things to make her like, way. Right. Yeah. Like it's one of the three things you're allowed to do, you know, as a female. Especially in what, 1901. So, yeah, like, um, it's that or motherhood. Like, <laughs> Exactly. Now, by so she went off to to become a teacher uh, to study to become a teacher at fifteen, and then now by all accounts she was our she she had blossomed. She was a beautiful young girl, and her classmates said that she had noticeably darker features. So that just means dark hair is what it means, really. Yeah, usually, no, to I... Europeans, um, <laughs> it's so true. But she was considered you're, you're attractive. Not blonde, <laughs> you're not blonde. And uh, so she probably, she, and she did. And when you see pictures of her, uh, she just had dark hair and dark eyes. Now, by age 16, though, she was expelled for having an affair with the headmaster. Now, ugh, I want to just stop okay. here. Yeah, let's stop here. She did not have an affair with the headmaster. No, she didn't. She's a child. She was molested by, by the an headmaster. adult. Yes. yes. 
So she was expelled. I don't care if she came on to him. She could have walked into the room naked saying, I want your penis inside me right now. And it would be his job to say, I'm a grown up. Put some clothes on. You're a child. Let's talk. Yeah. It's his job to be like, girl, I got pants Mm -mm. older than you. So (laughs) let's not do this. Okay. Um, But that's how it was described. Okay. So, but by age, so she's back at the Hague um in mm-hmm. um the netherlands um it's a major city in the netherlands i had to look that up because i was like the hague the the prison what what is going on um american <laughs> educational system people uh listen listen we tried to learn things we did but you know it's did. like it's like crawling crawling through mud in this country all right go on but also thank thank god for google um yep, so yep. Now, but also by, check your sources. You know what I'm saying? Okay, go check ahead. your sources. So she's back in the Hague. You know she's been expelled, and she's just trying to find her way. Um, so she begins dating, and she she actually it's basically she started looking at the singles column in the newspaper. What? That's how you met people back then. Okay, okay, okay. And she so she met and married uh, a man, a Captain Rudolph McLeod, a man twenty two years her senior, Ooh, and an officer. Girl. Yeah, and an officer in the Dutch colonial army. They married in July of eighteen ninety five. Okay. Okay. So she 22 is two years. Okay. Yeah. So what mm. that makes him forty. That forty mm. married an eighteen year old. So Mm-mm. Mm-mm. now, but again, that's what a woman had back then. You have to kind of marry listen, well. You have to marry well, right? That's fine. Does he have a lot of money? Because well, listen, girl, know. when you're 40, he's dead. So like, you know. Oh, that's true. That's true. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. true. Especially back then. Now, right? together, they lived uh, at his military post in Indonesia. So, and at the time, it was called Dutch East Indies. So... She was a very adventurous young woman. So this was very exciting at, at first. Um, and the two had two children eventually. Um, okay. And like I said, living in a foreign place was very exciting to her, but it, it was also very problematic. Problematic as fuck, actually, because Rudolph turned out to be, oh, big surprise. A guy is 40, married an 18-year-old. Not only a serial uh, cheater, but also abusive, mm. physically abusive. What a, you know what? You what a dick. Like, you got this beautiful 18-year-old to marry you. You need to count your fucking blessings, asshole. Um, but Rudolph also did something else uh, to Marguerite. Uh, he also gave her syphilis, uh, which he had mm. contracted from one of his many mistresses. And which she's now, she now has it. So she, um, it goes on to her children also have Ugh. it when they give birth. And so they had two children, Norma John, Norman John and Louise uh, Jean. And mm-hmm. Norman, the little boy, so they had a little boy and a little girl. Norman had a particularly bad case of syphilis as a child. Oof, and so oof. if things couldn't get any worse with this whole situation, the only available treatment was that would with uh, with mercury for syphilis at the time. Oh, no. And a local Wait, why doctor. Don't, why don't they just chop off his penis? You Not mean, the child, but the grown-up, the well, man. Maybe if they chopped it off, I would feel better. Okay, well, sorry. Yeah, because he's an officer. and uh, Yeah. So, so cut it, slice right through. Go ahead. 
Yeah, the the poor little baby, he had a particularly bad case of it. So a local doctor actually overdosed him and he died at age two. So, fuck so Rudolph mad. forever. Um, yeah. He better be glad he got away with his life. Uh, Listen, yeah. I don't, like, believe in heaven and hell, but, like, I kind of want him to be in hell. That's what I want. Okay. Yeah. Now, apparently, this was the last straw. You know, if the, the beatings and the, yeah. the giving me syphilis wasn't bad enough and then giving it to our children, Mm-mm. you know, then the child dying was just the last straw. So the two headed back to Europe and uh, separated and ultimately divorced in 1902. So newly divorced um, and in a need and in a need uh, in a way to support her child in a need of a way to support her child. That is God, I can't speak today. Uh, I'm blaming the concussion. Uh, Anyway. Yeah. yeah, um, No girl, me too. Your concussion is affecting me. Okay. But in a um, in need of a way to support herself and now her little girl, yeah, because uh, I can't imagine Rudolph would be very generous or even have yeah. offices don't often have a lot of money uh, unless they come for money. But um, so she migrated to Paris in 1905 and reinvented herself as a striptease dancer who claimed to be of Far Eastern descent. Oh, my God. And it worked so well because I just found out she isn't right now. Wow. Now, while in Indonesia and Malaysia, Marguerite acquired a superficial knowledge of Indian and Javanese dances. And because white people really aren't very good at they're actually very good at not bothering to know too much about non-white people. (laughs) Uh, She was able to pass. As yeah. an exotic dancer of an unknown exotic origins. Yo, like white uh, people are stupid. Okay. Yeah. Also, this is the era of the of Francis Bellapac uh, era, which was from 1871 to 1914. Uh, and it coincided with our Gilded Age. Oh, okay. Here in America. Oh, yes, now, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, but unlike the Gilded Age, which was a lot more like, you know, uh, reserved in America, the Belle Epoque, the French were doing it like the French like to do it and getting to do lots of sex. Yeah. Uh, very, it's also a very prosperous economy. So, you know, things were a little bit more free. And again, the French are a lot more, I think, uh, just sexually free. Um, they don't really have I mean, the puritanical, uh, obviously, uh, there's always a, yeah. a, a a part of society that has that, particularly the upper echelons. But uh, that wasn't the case here in France uh, during this era. Um, and it particularly in Paris. Yes. So it was, there was a lot of room. It was very uh, great energy in the air and plenty of room for something that seemed exotic, wild and free. So they ate up this whole shtick she had going. Nice. Um, Get a girl. Trick them all. She, Get your money. So she went, she went from having private dances in like homes to packed dance halls and opera houses from Russia to France and began touring wow. all over Europe. Yeah. Oh my God. And she telling the story of how she was born in a sacred Indian temple and taught ancient sure. dances <laughs> by a priestess who gave her the name of Matahari. Oh my God. Eye of the Dawn in Malay. <laughs> Matahari. Stop. She's a genius. I didn't know this till now. <laughs> Girl, I was like, I don't know if this is problematic as fuck or if I'm impressed because this is a scam. I know. 
this is a scam. I love and it. Like all of India is like, what? <laughs> yeah. It, it's like if you actually met an Indonesian person or any person, they'd be like, what, what? That doesn't mean that sounds like gibberish. Yeah. <laughs> the Europeans are like, oh, she's so exotic. Ew. <laughs> Uh, now her career and, and just so you know, so the nature of her dance is that she would often dance in like very sheer, like flowing gowns and often she would end up fully nude. <laughs> so, well, make your money, you know, <laughs> but it's like the seduction of the veils, but it's not real. It's just like a white lady's interpretation of the dance of the veils. Oh, I mean, uh, honestly, this reminds me of like how I dance like alone, you know, <laughs> Like I know exactly yeah. what she does. I do it too, yeah. but I don't. I don't know that I'm right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like if I came up with like, oh yeah, this is a uh, Middle Eastern dance of this dotic, and and they're like, have you ever been to the Middle East? Oh, I watched a couple of documentaries on Arabia. Listen, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm not gonna tell you what play this was from, but I had a monologue that I used all the time in my 20s in New York, all the time, and it got me a lot of jobs like I it was like the monologue that like would and it was I was like playing a character that was like I used a southern accent I don't know why um and I was like I want to go into these and I want to move I'm not I could quote it but I'm not gonna because I do not want to give it away because I am so embarrassed and it worked and I would like and then I'm gonna be and I'm gonna break out and I'm gonna shimmy my hips why am I Southern? And, and like, and I would do like, I would like, cause I was like, I'm a mover. I'm going to show them I can move. Listen, Matahari and I have like a little more in common than I care to admit. Except Miriam, she made a lot of money doing this. Yeah, no, I made no money. <laughs> Those jobs paid me almost nothing. Okay. It also kind of reminds me of like, you know how, uh, is it Alec Baldwin's wife has been accused of pretending oh, yes. to be Spanish? <laughs> yes. So like so this has been going on forever. Yes. Um it's what you so, it's what you do, you know, make your name. I don't know. I mean, she's I, I don't mind the scam. I don't mind cuz she's scam, she's scamming like ignorant white people who think that they're right. better than these people. And like honestly, they have the money to throw at her and they are exactly. entertained. She'll be like, "Listen, I'm an entertainer." You know? I mean, she's it's she's showing her body, so listen, they're getting a show. Now, her career, so she went on like this. She was ex extremely successful uh, for about a decade and basically till the end of the Belle Epoque era. So okay. it ended, you know, like I said, uh, 1914. And then, you know, soon after we're getting into a war. Um, so she also right. began losing ground to younger and more athletic imitators because other people started being like, oh, is that what I want? So, you know, so it's just 10 years a good run, though. 10 years is a really good run for something that you made up. <laughs> I mean, right. I don't know. That's just save your money, you know. You well, there's that. So by now she was well known. Of course, she was uh, still considered very beautiful. And she was also fluent in German, French, Italian, Spanish and Malay. Holy crap. So, yeah. So she and English. So she was eventually able to find success as a courtesan, which a lot okay. of people think is a prostitute. It's not. It's not. Um, it, it can involve sex, but it doesn't always. But I mean, you know, it's it's you just have you have um courtesan is basically you have short-term relationships with wealthy men who buy who may buy you a condo or home or right. like so it's uh yeah i knew um, a girl i knew a girl who was a, a sort of a modern day courtesan yeah i, I think they're know. still out there like, yeah and i remember know. she was explaining it she's like i you know i don't sleep with them if i don't want to yeah but they buy me things 
they buy you things. So, but, you know, my boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband, was like, no. And I was like, fine. They yeah, because you can things. also you can also get into like dicey situations. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I think it's I don't highly recommend it. But yeah, and even though she's categorized as like uh, a sex fiend and da, 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 she she had confided to a friend that actually after her experience with Rudolph and syphilis, um, yeah. she didn't really find sex that appealing. But she realized that it could be a way to get the things that she needed in life. Like yeah, many women. a lot of a lot of women figure that out. Yeah, yeah so she became six. A successful courtesan seducing wealthy and powerful men from multiple nations, including high ranking government officials. And so with the outbreak of World War One, her catalog of lovers began to include high ranking military officers, also of various nationalities. OK. Now, in February 1917, French authorities arrested her for espionage and imprisoned her because what? and so okay. because, again, she is so she's from a neutral country. She speaks all these languages and she has, you know, many different friends, quote unquote. Right. From different. But it's wartime. So the rules change. OK. Now, again, because she was from a neutral country, she was able to cross borders with comparatively little hassle. And she's a beautiful woman. Um, But during wartime, that is going to raise some suspicions, particularly from the British and the French. Right. So, like I said, before the war, you know, most people would say this woman traveling around by herself is a little morally mm, suspect. But during the war, it's like, is she a spy? Hmm. Let's see. So around 1914, 15, her career kind of wraps up. Okay. Okay. And But by 1915, among her many lovers was an agent for the Kaiser's Secret Service, a man by the name of Carl Cromer, who okay. offered her... Because he realized, oh, she gets into certain uh, rooms, you know, in the room where right. it happened because of her beauty and like her, she's, she's, you know, at this, she's basically like what people thought. They thought actresses were um, sex workers. Basically, that's mm-hmm. what she is. So she gets in a lot of rooms. And so he offered her 20,000 francs if she would seduce allied officers and report back. Oh, girl. Now, to... Germany to the Kaiser. Uh, now, according mm. to officials, uh, now according to the official French record, this is when she became Agent H twenty one and began spying on the Allied forces for cash. Oh okay? shit! Okay, this is according to the the French record. But in more recent uh, times, in, in in declassified records, it suggests that she actually declined Cromer, Cromer's offer, but kept the twenty thousand francs. Because there she felt go. like it was payment for having her furs and jewels confiscated by the Germans. That feels right. Get your money. They shouldn't have taken your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But so honestly, she goes like, to- why- I'm just wondering why I thought she was the 16th century. I did too. I Arabian. Think, I, th- I think it's the, the, the spy. I think when they show her in films, they 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 put her in the image of like, what's the girl that danced and had uh, one at John the Baptist head or something. Uh, I'm a, I don't I'm even, a, know. I'm a heathen at this point. Anyway, somebody Listen. out there is yelling at me. Um, anyway, that it's in the Bible somewhere. This young girl, I'm Jewish. Just like, I, dance. Don't know. I know it's, and I think, it, I think it might be in the, in the Jewish part of the Bible. Cr- Listen, I had apples and honey. I said a prayer. Leave me alone. 
I think it's in the Torah part of the yeah, Bible, well, the Old I Testament. Ah, uh, yeah. Anyway, Baruch so, bless you. Okay, go on. But I think it's because of that and in Delilah, all those things. So she's kind of mm-hmm. like thrown in with all those women. So, yeah. so okay. So he offered her the money. She was like, mm, okay, yeah. And then she's like, I'm taking this money. I'm out, bitches. So she goes back to uh, France, to Paris, her home, you know, her home away from home. And on her way there, the ship docks at an English port where English officers, again, this is during the war. So English officers question her. And this one English officer wrote, quote, she speaks French, English, Italian, Dutch, and probably German. Handsome, old, uh, odd uh, type of woman. No, handsome, bold type of woman, well and fashionably dressed, not above suspicion, end quote. Ah, okay. So she goes on her way, but that officer who questioned her also sends his thoughts to the French counter-espionage unit at the Ministry okay. of War. So they're on the lookout for her. So she, go- she, had- she goes to Paris and she's there. And by 1916, she's still having fun. And, and again, she's-, she's dating all kinds of men, right? right. Whoever's going to buy her furs, whatever. And she realizes she's being followed. The French are following her because they suspect oh, her of shit. spying for German, for the Germans. Okay. And so they were going through her stuff, like following her. Um, and now around this time, she meets this man by the name of Vladimir de uh, Masoloff, uh, a decorated but wounded. And he's a, from an aristocratic family, but he probably doesn't have a lot of money. Russian captain. So he was right, slightly okay. blind in one eye. Uh, and apparently he was like one of the loves of her life. So. Oh. It became a genuine connection. He proposed, but he had to go back to the Western Front to fight. So in an effort to stay close to him where he was fighting, she talked to a friend of hers for for some advice. And she got an offer from a former French lover who gave her an opportunity to become an agent for France to spy on German targets in neutral countries. Okay. And in exchange, he offered her safe travel so she could go and see Vladimir while he was on the front. And okay. one million francs, Ooh. which would be three million dollars in today's money. Oh, get your money! So she was yes. like, "That sounds like a plan. Let's do that." Because uh, it's not just twenty k; it's three mm, it's, million dollars. Yeah, listen. Like, I wouldn't spy for Germany because, well, I'm Jewish, and in those days, that was not. No, right. he's mm-hmm. offering her to spy but for, for France. France. Let's yes. get our money and let's save some souls you know yeah and she's got a daughter still to take care of so yeah um but it turns out this offer from france was really a bit of a lie oh so she kept writing the officer so they send her off she keeps writing him when she goes she goes to spain uh, i mean she heads to spain she's she's waiting for her orders nothing happens so while okay. traveling she was questioned and detained by the british now she told them because they were trying to decide if she was really who she says she is, or uh, I believe I think they thought she might have been a uh, a German spy. Um, so they can't really because again things were different back then. Official right. documents were different back then. So she admitted she's like, okay, I'm working for France. I'm a French agent. Um, okay. So the British are like, okay, well let's send off to France to see if this is true. So they sent back now again her friend who's a former lo- her former lover is like I'm going to recruit you. His boss was a man by the name of Ledoux. 
So okay. when the British send off to France to find out to uh, corroborate her assertion that she's a French agent, Ledoux replies replies back, quote, understand nothing, send Matahari back to Spain, end quote. Whoa. Okay. Why? So they left her hanger. Now the British, Damn. because people who work in counterintelligence tend to be very intelligent. Yes. They figured that the French roped her in with this offer of saying that she was a spy because they suspected her of being a German spy. And uh, they suspected that Fran- that the French just wanted the British to solve their problem. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So the Brits let her go. Why? Yeah. Okay. They're like, my name's Ben and ain't in it. Ain't got nothing to do with us. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. they let her go. <laughs> okay. And she still doesn't know that that's probably what's happening, though. Only they know that. So, so what so what she still thinks she's a French spy. She thinks they let her go because it was corroborated by the French. Oh. So she goes oh, on to Spain okay. yeah. and she uh, she's still waiting for orders. But again, she's thinking about that three million dollars. She's like, that is a lot yeah. of money. Right. Yeah. So she managed she meets and she seduces uh, a man by the name of Major Arnold uh, Calais, a German diplomat. So okay. she manages uh, after a couple of nights in bed, a couple, you know, a couple of times around rolling around. She gets some vital information about um, uh, something that would help the French troops out. Okay. And so she sends off a message to Ledoux about this thing. Like it, and it seems to be valuable information, but he just ignores her. <gasps> so she Idiot. talks to another friend, a former lover of her, who's like, actually, I think that's probably good information. So could you get more so she goes back to Kale and she's asking more questions. Right. He gets suspicious Uh-oh. all of a sudden because yep. yep. it's one thing to say it, you know, in coitus or whatever. But there's another thing to for her to specifically ask because she's not a trained spy. Right. So Kale gets suspicious. And according to American journalist Russell Warren Howe, who claimed that he got access to records in 1985, that basically corroborated this is what happened. Kale, the German diplomat who's in cahoots with Germany, uh, right. using a code that they knew the French had already cracked, transmitted a message identifying Matahari as a spy. Oh. Oh my God. Yeah. So then. As a spy for them against wait. France. Yes. So. Crap, that's bad. So then what happens? That sealed her fate. So <laughs> the French arrested her in, an, in a military trial conducted in July of uh, that year of 1916. She was accused of revealing details of the Allies' new weapon, the tank, resulting in the, uh, the deaths of tens of thousands of soldiers. She was convicted and sentenced to death. And the following year, on October 15th, 1917, she was killed by firing squad <gasps> and she refused a blindfold. And oh, it, now, wow. there's a lot that goes on in the trial. She's like, no, this is what happened. And they're like, no, you're lying. Now, some people think, so th- some say that there is evidence that she acted as a German spy and for a time okay. as a double agent for the French. But the Germans had written her off as an ineffective agent who produced little intelligence of value. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, God. Many, many historians oh, now man. feel that her military trial was, you know, riddled with bias and circumstantial evidence. 
And it's probable that the French authorities trumped up her as trumped her up as, quote, the greatest woman spy of the century as a distraction for the huge losses that the French army was suffering on the Western Front. Oh, my God. Now, I wonder under that bus. Yeah. I wonder if if Ledoux had not ignored what the information she was giving him, if that had helped the French out and he ignored it. That's totally what happened. Yeah. And then they were like, liar, she's a witch, burn her. Like, that's totally what happened. Yeah. Now, according to the Time article um, that I read, by 1917 also, the French military was war weary, morale was low, and some military divisions had even begun to mutiny. So um, the author contends that the Allied side and the French especially needed someone to blame, to punish, to defeat. Mm -hmm. So they found a perfect scapegoat in a, quote, immoral foreigner with a sensuous walk who had shamelessly seduced men from all armies, end quote. Ain't nothing like murdering a prostitute in their eyes as making the world a better place, even though these gentlemen want to have sex with her you know it's a fucked up world now uh, a little bit more i'm almost finished here now some historians also contend that regarding the whole they so the military thing so like let's say there's evidence that she was a spy because the guy offered her 20k (laughs) and she took it right yeah right and walked away yeah but a lot of a lot of them contend that she was little more than a gossip with a thing for officers on both sides and because of that she was demonized yeah. Uh, and her, you know, so the legend of Matahari surpasses the woman and what actually happened. Now, in view of Julie Wilwright, the author of The Fatal Lover, Matahari and the Myth of Women in Espionage, Matahari, mm-hmm. quote, symbolized women's danger, their treacherous desires hidden beneath their rallying cry as mothers of the nation or self-sacrificing nurses, end quote. And so it's just a way to further buy into that that idea that women are dubious by yes. nature yes. you know and duplicitous and mysterious and can't be trusted and just you know they take a man's power when they bed them mm. um, so now for like in 1930 though so shortly after not that long after she was um killed she was executed uh the german government um exonerated her in 1930 Really? But France, the nation that executed her, has shown a little bit more reluctance, Uh, you know, and they haven't really declassified the documents that they have. So a lot of the documents that uh, I got, you know, that my sources got their information from is from the other, uh, from the Americans or the British. Oh, and the Germans, but not the American, not France. Yeah. So... It just remains to be seen if she is she it sounds like she was just a woman having a good time. And this is where you do have to understand, I think, sometimes um, how you're perceived. Like I keep going back to what that British guy said, a bold type of woman. Yeah. Well dressed. That irks many men when you seem confident. Mm -hmm. Um, When Mm -hmm. other men seem to fall prey to you, it makes them, you know, their misogyny on full alert. Um, I don't think she was a saint because the fact that she, 
I think she's a bit of a scammer, obviously, pretending to be. I think she be... is a scammer, I, but I, I'm okay with it. Like, I think she had this career where she was scamming the shit out of people, like, sort of innocently, where she was, like, dancing and been like, yes, I was born in a sacred cave in India, whatever. But, like, and then it was like, oh, there's a war, better pivot. She just pivoted. Yeah. And also, you know, I think something else is being missed here. Yeah. Did they did they still think that she was exotic and from the Middle East or or India oh, somewhere? You know so what? could it be bigotry? Yeah, it could be. Like, you know. Yeah, you're right. Like, you're right. Because now we know that she made it up, but did they know that she made it up? And did they just think, like I said, foreigner? That was in the one of the quotes, the foreigner. Yeah, so I, I, you know what? I think you're absolutely right, and that's why she was so easy. It was so easy for them just throw her under the bus, like either like work for us and and help us, or like fuck off, you know, yeah. as opposed to like, oh, you're one of us, cool, cool. Yeah, if we can't uh, use you, then we're definitely going to blame you. Like, I mean, she's, they said yeah. that she, uh, in one report, that she was responsible for up to 50,000 uh, troops. That's, no, that's uh, not one woman's fault. No. 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 That doesn't feel right. A woman you who was not trained that. as a spy? Come on. No. Yeah. No. I, I mean, so. if it's true, that was their fault. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think it's true. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, so that is Matahari. Wow. That was amazing and fascinating and a whole story I've never heard. <laughs> wow. And I feel like it. I've seen movies with like the character of Matahari. Because I think very I, I feel like like those like I, I vaguely have this memory of like a, a black and white or something yes, of like Yes this woman and she's mysterious and like like you said and the, the name you're like oh she's not european so but no she's totally european she's dutch yeah <laughs> like she just made it up <laughs> i mean 100 percent. when scamming goes wrong i tell you i mean right <laughs> yeah <laughs> um that's so, that's a good title for this episode maybe maybe um who's your notorious woman for me this okay week? so speaking of like a world I know very little about. So who I am going to talk about today is Rani Lakshmibai. I listened oh. to the pronunciation, so I think I said it right, but could be wrong. Now, here is what I will say. She is Indian mm -hmm. of, and she has, uh, I have a She's story. She's actually Indian. <laughs> She's actually Indian. I'm reading a book that takes place in India. Like it's like a murder mystery book that's really fun. And Ooh. I'm learning a lot. And I there, the, apparently there's this woman who did a, a sort of incredible feats of things that I'd never heard of. And I was like, well, well I, you know, well, we got to talk about this now. But here's the deal. There's a lot of cultural references and things that I don't know a huge amount so if i mess something up i apologize now and feel free to <laughs> tell me and i will fix it like i could do this whole thing over again if i'm wrong okay but okay. i did the best that i could and i want to bring her to attention because you know american education it's not good yeah, so no. we, you know well, we're to maybe We'll tell you. Depends on the state and how yeah. much money you got. There you go. There you go. 
Um, so Rani Lakshmi Bai, she was born named Manikarnika Tambe. They called her Manu. Okay. Now, yes. So her name, her birth name is Manikarnika Tambe. They called her Manu. She was born November 19th. Okay. So already it's messy. 1828 or 1835. What? Oh. Exactly. Uh, In the town, what was called Benares, which is now called Varanasi, into a uh, Karhada Brahmin family, which is a high caste, right? They're the priests. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, Gotcha. Yeah. And so her father was Moropant Tambe and her mother was Bhagirathi Sapre. Um, so her mother died when she was four. Her father was a commander during the war of Kalyan Pranth. Now, again, right, I don't, we're not taught any of these wars or journeys. So I don't know exactly what that means. Um <laughs> But he worked for Peshwa Baji Rao II of Bithur district. So Peshwa knew her as a child um, and called her Chahabili, which means beautiful and lively and cheerful, which gives you an idea of like the kind of kid she was. Um, She was educated at home and she was taught to read and write, uh, which was not the case for every girl in that era and that part of the world. Um, she was a lot more independent in her childhood than most kids were. Um, and in her studies, they taught her shooting, horsemanship, fencing, and there is, okay, something called Malakamba. Have you heard of Malakamba? No. Sounds like okay. Mortal Kombat. I mean, it, just... it's really cool, right? It kind of is. Yeah, It's like, uh, it's a traditional sport, which it's like gymnastics, aerial yoga, wrestling, and there's like ropes and poles and like, it's cool. <laughs> you can like Google this. There's like videos of it. It's amazing. Um, and she did that with friends. Um, she contrasted a lot of the patriarchal cultural expectations for women in India society at the time. She was known for her unique perspectives, uh, and she had courage to fight against social norms, even in front of society. So she would go to gatherings and things and say her mind, and it was okay, if not, like, unusual. So she married the Maharaja of Jhansi. Oh. Uh, his, his name, yeah, so very high up there. So... But my guess, this is how she got away with doing what yeah. she wanted. And I think her father was fine with it and probably yeah. like adored her um, and, and, and allowed it because um, you would still be marriageable because they were that high up, right? A lot of times, I think in history, you sort of dumb down your daughters so that they're marriageable. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Um. So his name, Ganga Dar Rao Nuwakar, they married May 1842. And after this, they called her Lakshmi Bai, uh, which was in honor of the Hindu goddess Devi Lakshmi. Um, and there was a tradition of women being given a new name after marriage. Okay. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So that's why, like, 
she's actually known uh, as Ronnie of Jansi. Like if you're okay. going to look her up, you'd go Ronnie of Jansi, even though okay. that's not her birth name. Um, so she was, uh, she had given birth to a baby boy in September of 1851, which I think is interesting because they married in 1842 and many years passed. Um, but so they name him Damodar Rao and he died four months later. Uh, it just says, I know it's just a chronic illness. I mean, man. So then the Maharaja adopted a child. So her husband, they did it like through him named Anand Rao, which was the son of, um, his cousin and they renamed him Damodar Rao the day before the Maharaja died. Oh. Right? And because it sounds like, I'm sorry to interrupt, yo, but it sounds yeah. like they may have been having some uh, fertility issues. Yeah. Which is why I it was so, so long and then their son died. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. But, and I my mean, guess is that he was dying and they needed an heir to legitimize yeah. her. Yeah. Um, so, and they, they adopted, my guess is prop is pretty strong here. So they adopted in front of the British political officer who was given a letter from the Maharaja instructing that the child be treated with respect and that the government of Jhansi should be given to his widow for her lifetime. Mm. Because of course the British were actually in charge. Yeah. Yeah. What year was this again? This was 18... uh, 1853. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he died that November. So because the child was an adopted son, the British East India Company um, obviously thought they had all the control and power. Um, they applied the doctrine of lapse, and they re- which rejected this child's claim to the throne and annex the state to its territories. Of course when they did. I, right? Right? They They're like, wait, yeah. I'm a white man. It's my turn to speak always. Um, so she freaked out and apparently she cried out, I'm not going to try to say this in the native tongue because that's just offensive yeah, no, yeah but, don't do that girl mm-mm. but which the translation i will say is she 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 cries out i shall not surrender my john c um they in march 1854 they gave her an annual pension of sixty thousand, i think rupees um and was ordered to leave the palace in the fort okay so according to vishnu bhat gadsi she kept she she kept her focus so she would exercise daily i'm not exactly sure where she went but she she did leave but every day she would weightlift wrestle steeple chasing again i what so steeple chasing did you know this it's distant mm. horse racing where you're required to jump diverse fence and ditched obstacles maybe other people know this i don't know Oh, I've seen that in movies, but I didn't know that's the name of it. That's interesting. I didn't know either. I thought it was like, I've seen that in like, I don't know, on TV when I was 12 on Channel 7, you know? But 
but she just like did that. And she apparently, this is how it was written. She did it all before breakfast. Okay. Of course Uh, she did. (laughs) Like me too. No, just kidding. She's much more skilled than I am. No doubt. Um, so on May 10th, 1857, the Indian rebellion started in Meerut. So when news of the rebellion reached Jhansi, the Rani asked, and they, this is, they, they refer to her as the, so the Rani, she is the Rani of Jhansi, which I think means like, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I tried to figure it out. I think it's the title. Yeah. It sounds like her title. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she asked the British political officer, Captain Alexander Skeen, for permission to raise a body of armed men for her protection. Okay. So he agreed to this. So the city was relatively calm, um, even though the, like, the regional unrest was, was not. This was the summer of 1857. But what she did, she conducted something called a Haldi Kumkum, which is a social gathering in India which married women exchanged turmeric and vermilion powder as a symbol of their married status and wishing for their husband's long lives. So it's like a ceremony. She did it with pomp in front of all the women of Jhansi to provide assurance to her subjects and to also convince them that the British were cowards and to not be afraid of them. So she's, I mean, like we have a theme today of playing kind of two sides right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She's no fool. Um, So she was nervous to rebel against the British at this point. In June of 1857, the rebels of the 12th Bengal Native Infantry seized the star star fort of Jhansi, which contained, contained treasure. And after persuading the British to lay down their arms by promising them no harm, they then broke their word and massacred 40 to 60 European officers of the garrison along with their wives and children. Oh, so yeah. I mean, these gangsters don't kill, but these people are angry because their land has been stolen. Yeah. Um, so they don't know if she was involved in this massacre. They still don't know. It's still a subject of debate. Like an army doctor, Thomas Lowe wrote of her, quote, Jezebel of India, the young Rani upon whose head rested the blood of the slain. So they're definitely blaming her. <laughs> Jezebel. Of um, India. Right. What a what a word when we don't know what else to say. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, they want to say harlot, but Jezebel right. is closest to it. Yeah. It's a little more appropriate, you know, in the home in front of the children, you know. Yeah. Um. So four days after the massacre, uh, the the British left Jhansi after getting a lot of money from Ronnie um, because they threatened to blow up the palace where she lived. So I think she just went to another palace is my guess. Or she, I'm not sure. Again, is I'm a little murky on some of the specific details. But after this happened, the only authority in the city... Um, was her. So she oh. assumed uh, control. She wrote to Major Erks- Erskine, who was the commissioner of the Sagor Division, which was a, re- a region of British India, 
which explained the events that had led her to sort of take over at this moment. So he responded saying, please manage the district for the British government until we can get the British there. Like you can have this for like a minute. We'll be oh, right gotcha, there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. okay. So then, so there's division now uh, within themselves. So the Rani's forces defeated an attempt by the mutineers to assert the claim to the throne of a rival prince, Sadashiv Rao, who is the nephew of the Maharaja, her husband who has died, who had mm, died. Okay. Um, um, who had been I mean, captured and imprisoned. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's so complicated. So basically there was an invasion of Jansi by other forces that wanted to split it up between themselves. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, now, this happened, so the Rani appealed to the British for aid because she's she needs help. But at this point, the British were like, "Ah, I think you're responsible for a massacre against us." So they did not reply. Oh, the double cross. Yeah. Okay. The ghosting of these women. <laughs> yeah, that feels right. So yeah. she set up a foundry um, to. Ca okay, to cast cannon to be used on the walls of the fort and assembled forces, including some of the former, uh, like, feudatories of Jhansi and elements of the mutineers. She basically, she basically, like, took other people who were, like, unsure. <laughs> mm, like, mm. some of the mutineers, some of the other people. And they were able to defeat the invaders in August 1857. Now, she was still trying to hold the Johnsey, according to this, on behalf of the British, or at least that's what she was saying. Okay. Okay. So from August 1857 to January 1858, Johnsey, under her rule, was at peace. So the British had announced that troops would be sent there to maintain control, but the fact that none arrived strengthened the position of a party of her advisors who wanted independence from British rules. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm thinking she's still like on the fence. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. The British did arrive in March. And they found it very well defended. The fort had heavy guns. Um, now, according to one source, uh, a man, Hugh Rose, who was a command who was commanding the British forces, they demanded the surrender of the city and if it was refused, it would be destroyed. Um, that same source claims that after much deliberation, the Rani issued a proclamation. She says, quote, we fight for independence. In the words of Lord Krishna, we will, if we are victorious, enjoy the fruits of victory. If defeated and killed on the battle, we shall surely earn eternal glory and salvation. Okay. So now she's like, she's like, I'm about that life. Bring it, bitches. Um, let's do this. <laughs> now, some sources say that that they didn't demand for surrender. But, I, uh, you know, it's the British. I, they, they demanded surrender. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So she defended Johnsey against British troops when Sir Hugh Rose besieged Johnsey on March 23rd, 1858. The bombardment of Jhansi began on March 24th, but was met with heavy return fire and the damaged defenses were repaired. 
so then the defenders sent appeals for help from, uh, so Tatia Tope was a notable commander in this rebellion. And he had an army of more than 20,000. Um, and they were sent to help relieve Jhansi, but they did, they did not win. Um, during the battle with Tatia Tope's forces, part of the British forces continued the siege. And by April 2nd, it was decided to launch an assault by a breach of the walls. So the British were winning. Yeah. So she, she ran, she knew her, she knew she's going to go. Um, so she withdrew from the palace to the fort. Um, she decided to join Tatia. Uh, and basically that resistance in the city was useless. That was not working. Okay. Okay. So according to tradition, again, right? Try to figure this out. She jumped on the back of her horse with her son from the fort and they to, to escape. Now they survived, but the horse died. Uh, she was surrounded by guards and the escort included many warriors just like kind of running away. So she decamped to Kalpi with a few guards um, where she joined additional rebel forces, including Tatia Tope. Now they occupy the town of Kalpi and prepared to defend it. So they, I think they lost Jansi essentially. Mm. Then they're trying to, trying to defend Kalpi. Unfortunately, on May 22nd, I mean, I think we all know where this is going. The British forces attacked Kalpi um, and Rani herself commanded the forces against the British, but they were defeated and they fled again. Now they came to a town called Gwalior and they joined the Indian forces who now held the city. So, they, you know, there's a lot happening. I had no idea there was so much uprising. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just like... Get get the hell out of our country. <laughs> yes. Dude. Oh, yeah. People have always been fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Britain, come on. Colonialism um, and slavery is not a choice, people. People are always fighting. I know. It's like you did yeah. not come in to save us. We did not need saving. Yeah. So they tried to occupy the strategic Walior fort, but they were unsuccessful. Um, and once again, they lost. But she was leading uh well she tried to at this point she was trying to convince other rebel leaders to prepare to defend Gwalior against British attack um but nothing worked so on June 17th in Kota Ki Sirai near Gwalior a British squadron fought the large Indian force uh commanded by Rani she was trying to leave the area, but the 8th Hussars, which was a British squadron, charged into the Indian force. They slaughtered 5,000 Indian soldiers, including, quote, any Indian over the age of 16. They charged right through the encampment, and according to an eyewitness, Ronnie put on a sewer's uniform, which is a, you know, a, a Indian uniform, and attacked one of the Hussars, but she was unhorsed and wounded, probably by his saber. Shortly afterwards, as she sat bleeding by the roadside, she recognized the soldier and fired at him with a pistol, whereupon he fired at her. Um, so she's very wounded. According to another tradition, 
She was dressed as a cavalry leader, which is similar, and was also badly wounded. But according to this legend, she did not want the British to capture her body. So she told a hermit to burn it. Um, Mm. I don't know what actually happened, but I do know that after her death, a few local people did cremate her body. Yeah, because they would have put it on display. Yes. So she was like, don't, don't do that. Yeah. So the British then captured Gualier after three days. And in the British report of this battle, Hugh Rose, who was the British commanding officer, commented that Rani Lakshmi Bai is, quote, personable, clever, and beautiful. And she is, quote, the most dangerous of all Indian leaders. End quote. Now, some sources say her son actually survived, that a lot of the survivors kind of went off into the, 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 the sort of the forest and the fields and they created encampments and they survived there. They hid there for like 12 years. Um, and then eventually, not all of them stayed surviving, but her son made a deal with the British and was able to continue living his life. Mm. Um, and that, that is what I know of Ronnie wow. of Jhansi. Of, let me rephrase, the Ronnie of Jhansi. Rani of Jhansi. Wow. Wow. So, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. She's, she's definitely like a legend and she's very, very important. She's, and so I feel like I, when I was researching, I was battling like legends versus, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and also like how the history was written down, which is why like I started with an excuse. (laughs) Like, yeah. I have some ideas, but like, if you know more, please tell me. I will yeah. rephrase. And also, hashtag not historian. So, <laughs> hashtag not historians. <laughs> yeah, the whole purpose is to to get intrigued, learn a little something, right? Laugh, hopefully, and then go and and do like real research and find exactly. Out. Yeah. But I just like I was like, wow, she is a whole thing with billions of people know about her, but America does not. So let's learn. That's amazing. The Ronnie of Johnsey. Johnsey. The, the Ronnie of Johnsey. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're wow. welcome. What like, a day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all know women can, you know, kill and uh, yeah. defend their territory or, or be scammers. Uh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Amazing. So many options. <laughs> well, it's so interesting because, you know, we're like, well, women are weak. Women aren't strong. That's why men need to... Do all the, but listen, because she was growing up in a world where she did swordsmanship and horseback riding and all this stuff, like, of course she was strong enough to do this. Yeah, of course. Like, you you just don't, you're you're just telling, you're just, you're just putting corsets on their bodies and binding their feet. Then, then yeah, they can't. But like, if you don't do all these things and, you know, telling them that they belong somewhere else and putting it in their heads, well, then they won't be able to. But if you do the opposite, they can do anything. I mean, and I also think that the world knows that men especially know that. That is why they don't put pockets in women's dresses because they Fucker. don't want us to hide uh, weapons. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. That is that. why. There's no reason why there aren't. There shouldn't be pockets in every dress. Anyway, if, I digress. There's no but. dress that needs to be made without a pocket. Like if you're I, making I a dress that. right now and there's no pockets, put a pocket. Put a pocket in, in, it. in it. Put a pocket in it. Like, it's not that yeah. hard. Yeah, but no, that is amazing, amazing story. Like, I just love how both the women today had some cojones. 
Yes. You know, they, they both had like chutzpah. How do you say it? Am chutzpah. I, I, chutzpah. Chutzpah. I got you, girl. Chutzpah. chutzpah. Okay. Yeah. You can do the ha. Okay. Chutzpah. Yeah. I'm so um, proud of you. I, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I like that. You know, we all know that women are just, women can do what men can do. And yeah. most of the time better. So uh, yeah. this is why they need patriarchy because they're like, woman, I am better than I you. I know, right? Are you though? Are you though? Or did you set up a system in which you can hide? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but thank you so much. That was amazing. Um, That wraps up our birthday edition. Yes. (laughs) Episode (laughs) of the Notorious Woman podcast. Guys, remember to follow us on all the things. Also, if you want to help us out, please give us a five-star review in the Apple Store or anywhere you listen to your podcast iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever you listen to uh, your podcast. If you can leave a review, please do that. Please give us a five-star review. Also, to uh, remember to like us on social media. Remember to copy the link for our podcast and share it with your friends and your family. Don't just tell them about it. Actually, actively just copy the link and send it to them. Text it to them, email it to them. It's super easy. Like, I'm technically terrible i'm a terrible technical person but that i can do that (laughs) she is not she is killing it with our social Mm -hmm. media and i'm gonna actually let miriam tell you about uh uh, or step aside and have miriam i'm gonna step aside (laughs) let miriam tell you about how you can also support us on our social media platforms all right y'all instagram okay it's so easy it's notorious women podcast come join us it's fun i find funny things also poignant things moments um also we have a tiktok page it's new but come like us we like it yeah um oh and you can email us too especially after this episode so it's yes. notorious wmpod at gmail.com so you can email us thoughts ideas or you failed utterly here's the true story cool cool i'll re- we'll redo it we'll redo it um you can also DM us at Notorious Women Podcast on Instagram. Yeah. Um, we also have a Patreon. Yes, and that is patreon.com slash Notorious Women. And that's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Notorious Women. Come and leave us some some cash if you want to support the show in that way. We'd really, really appreciate it. But we most importantly, bring yourselves Listen every yeah. week, download, subscribe, and tell your friends. That part's free. So, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, money's always good, but we also want you to come as you are and come for free. So, you spread know, spread the love. Yeah. Spread the love. And with that, happy birthday again, Miriam. Happy birthday, Levetta. Thank you. And happy birthday to any of our listeners out there. And yeah. guys, we will see you next week. Bye bye. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.